0: Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm here at the RSA Conference, I'm talking with Warren Axelrod, who's affiliated now with the Financial Services Technology Consortium. Warren, it's a pleasure to talk with you. It's my pleasure too, Tom. Warren, why don't you give us a, a sense of, of everything you're involved with these days, because I know you're, you're wearing multiple hats and you've got multiple projects going on. Well, the
1: main one is the Software Assurance Initiative that I'm managing for FSTC. And that, that is a, a, a broad look at application security and software assurance, both in terms of the development lifecycle, operations, testing, and potentially setting up an industry lab to, to test highly used critical software. And what we've done is we've brought together groups fr- from some of the major fin- financial inf- uh, institutions, from academia, such as Carnegie Mellon, the, obviously big on software engineering and also companies such as uh, Microsoft, Northrop Grumman, uh, Booz Allen and so forth. And and also some of the uh, government regulatory agencies, although they're not participating, they're listening in. And uh, what we're trying to do is establish preferred policy and practices for financial services as a whole in the software assurance area. And the reason for this is that the regulators are increasingly looking at the application layer, which traditionally has been very neglected. And they're specifying, in some cases, with quite a level of detail, what financial institutions would be expected to do. So for instance, the OCC, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, in uh, 2008 put out a bulletin purely on software assurance and application security. And they went down to such a detail where they, in one of the appendices, they listed the 10 top OWASP vulnerabilities, which to me is amazing in a uh, sort of a regulatory guidance document. The other area where there's a lot of oversight activity is in the the payment side, the PCI uh, data security standard, particularly Section 6 which looks at application security. And and this is an evolving area for them. I, I think there's just a general recognition that many of the successful exploits are at the application level and that traditional information security professionals have not been strong in that area. And one of the reasons is that the knowledge required is is much broader. You have to understand the business. You have to understand software design and development and testing, as well as some of the broader security issues. And traditionally, security professionals have come out of the engineering network and systems area with very little applications experience. So there's been a lot of evangelizing by people such as Gary McGraw to, to try and get that idea across.
0: Now, Warren, you've been in information security for a number of years now. We're seeing a lot of fraud. We're seeing uh, payments issues, as you discussed. What are the security concerns most top of mind for you these days, especially as related to financial services?
1: Well, I I think there's really one area that stands out to my mind, and and that is the insider threat. And my own belief is that it's grossly underreported. And there are many reasons for that. Probably the main reason is that a lot of it goes unrecognized. We don't have the monitoring tools in place that are sophisticated enough to catch the insider. And the insider has, in general, has authorization and is authenticated through, through the system, given a lot of privileges, and can operate under the radar in, in many regards, and it's, it's hard to detect it because it's usually often only after the fact that some anomalous behavior is, is recognized. And, and I, I, one of the reasons I believe that it, it's understated is that most of the time that you find out about fraud, and either internal or external, is not from the institution that was hacked. So you have Choice Point, you have Heartland, and a number of others. And you look at where did that come from? Where did the recognition that there had been a compromise come from? And it usually comes from the visas or the MasterCards who start detecting the fraud. And then they trace it back uh, to a breach at a particular service provider. And then they have to go through a whole forensics effort in order to... Uh, determine what actually was done. So I, I think that there's a real issue in regard to to firms, particularly financial firms, being able to detect in real time this uh, fraudulent or, or, or evil behavior, however you define it. And it's also very necessary if they don't detect it in real time to be able to go back forensically and see what actually happened. Yeah because uh, I'm actually going to speak to this uh, on Friday, is that, uh, for example, a, with a situation like Choice Point, one it was a bad breach, but it was really exacerbated by management not knowing when and where and which accounts had been a- actually breached. And it took many months and they kept changing their estimates and that, that was probably worse for their, their publicity and and uh, you, you know how how customers felt about them than the actual breach itself was was not knowing
0: the the scope of the breach. That's a good point. Uh, two areas I want to ask you about in particular, and the first is ACH fraud because we're seeing a big rise in that now, where small to mid-sized business customers are finding their banking credentials compromised, and, and they're losing you know tens of uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. What can financial institutions do to help their customers so that they, they aren't being taken advantage of by the fraudsters? Well, I,
1: my own view is that too much of, of what we do in information security focuses on big companies. And For example, I was at one of the sessions with, with Gary McGraw and David Ladd from Microsoft and, and uh, Barry McGraw from Sigital, they talked about the BSIM, which is the build security and maturity model. And you know, Gary was very specific that we, we deal with huge companies and, and they do, they, their sample of some 30 companies are all big companies. And, and David Ladd, who is uh, one of the uh, promoters of the Microsoft SDL, mention that, well, you, you know, these things have to be scalable. It's not one size fits all. And what really happens, in my view, is that the smaller institutions, whether they're smaller financial institutions or the just, you know, regular corporations, are, are given short shrift in terms of how to protect themselves. And one of the issues is, is that clearly they can't afford the full-blown, the security uh, programs and and employees that that a a big institution can. But the other thing is that they don't recognize that the risk is as great as it is to them. So my my feeling about that is that, that they should be looking more to outsourcing for some of the security services rather than trying to build their own, which they, makes no, no economic sense yeah. and then you get into the risk of outsourcing some of these critical functions to third parties and how do you control that uh, because you may in fact be getting out of the frying pan into the fire where you, you're uh, trading off one form of fraud for another form of, uh, of attack and sure. which is actually becomes a, a virtual insider attack. So. So the nature could change unless
0: you do it properly. One more area I want to ask you about is um, regulatory reform. You were talking about the OCC's bulletin from a couple years back. I think there's an expectation now that regulatory reform is coming in banking, sooner or later. How do you think that's going to impact information security as opposed to just the business part of of banking? Well, I've felt a a long time, Tom, that
1: regulation and compliance legal aspects of uh, of the business and as they relate to security and privacy are in fact the biggest drivers and there's there's no question that there is a a move towards more uh, security enforced through government mandate so the, the, for instance I, I saw some recent senate hearings uh, uh, senator Arthur Rockefeller's trying to push through the cyber security bill. And there there are two two aspects to government involvement. One is that by making certain things mandatory, those areas are uh, really fortified uh, to a much greater extent. The problem is that the areas of focus of the regulators are not necessarily, and in, in, in fact often are not, the ones where the greatest risk is. So, because the regulators, for example, are, are very much driven by their constituents who are subject to identity theft and fraud. And, and so there is a, a bias towards that. And perhaps too much of the uh, the funding goes, goes towards that and not towards other areas which become the, the next. Uh, vector for, for attacks. Now, now the, you know, the, the banking regulators in particular have expanded into uh, uh, authentication methods, and not specific, but uh, basic guidance on strong authentication. So, uh, but it's well known that, for instance, the PCI standards, uh, you can be compliant, uh, but still be subject to uh, an attack or a breach. So my view is that, regulation does play a part, but it's not the answer to everything. That It's necessary, but not sufficient, and that companies have to recognize that they, they have to add to that. They, you know, clearly, even if they don't believe that the uh, the regulator's direction is the best one, I, I have something I, I, I call regulatory risk. It's the risk of non-compliance of the regulators. Because what happens is the reason you comply is that it's very painful not to, and that's a, a very tangible pain that can be expressed to management. the The pain of a breach and, and the uh, reputational loss and those kinds of things are, are really kind of fuzzy, difficult to put your finger on, and perhaps in areas where you can take the risk and and. Uh, sort of delay doing anything, but the regulatory side isn't. So, in general, I, I think that uh, governmental direction is helpful. I, I think that the the multi-state privacy notification laws are a disaster. That, that uh, So, there's a strong sense that a single federal law to supersede those would be much easier to deal with. You, you just have to comply with. With one set of standards and and not with the other, because a lot a lot of the larger financial institutions clearly are in every state, and and what many of them do is they they sort of take that maybe what you can call the highest common denominator. They 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 take the most stringent uh, state laws and apply them all, all over so that they won't be deficient in one area, which is not very efficient to, to start out with, and there's a real question. I haven't followed it fully, but the uh, Massachusetts law is, is uh, very prescriptive, and it, it doesn't necessarily reflect the areas of greatest greatest risk. The, um, I, I think my, my own view on data loss uh, is that if if the data truly lost, it probably isn't necessarily a bad thing. If the data was stolen, then that, you know, that the you know, the criminals are after that specific data. So uh, most of what's reported either turns out not to have been an event uh, or privacy breach, as in the, the Veterans Administration laptop being stolen, and, In many cases, uh, disks or tapes are are lost and people finding them, even finding laptops, they're not interested in the data. So what we're doing is we're, we're in effect, overcompensating for cases
0: where there are are very specific breaches. Now, Warren, I was surprised to find that you were speaking at the RSA conference for the very first time. (laughs) Congratulations for that. Thank you. Give us a preview of what you're going to be talking about when you speak tomorrow. Okay. Um, As I
1: mentioned before, I'm managing the software assurance initiative for FSTC. and We have some really bright folks on on the working group. And we were having one of our working group meetings, and the topic came up of being able to measure the strength of applications. And the reality is that there's a real lack in what's called instrumentation or data collection in applications where the, the data can be used for sec- security de- or breach determination or anomalous behavior and, and so forth. So that that came out of, of that discussion. So. My presentation is, is essentially, you know, build data collection into your applications. Now, the common uh, secure software development life cycle has certain security principles woven through it. So secure design, uh, secure coding practices, uh, testing for, for security, all of those things are the types of things that a security person with some application knowledge can generally do. The idea that there should be a, a person who understands the, the business use of the application, how applications are developed, as, as well as un- understands the, the security aspects, should be in on the design stage and say, well, we really want to know when somebody comes in to the system, what they touch, which functions they touch, which data they touch, what they do with it, wh- how they hop through the systems. All of these are indicators of, of activity and poten- potentially uh, malicious activity that we don't have any sense of because we're just not collecting the data. I mean, this is like the Toyota situation where <clears throat> one of the problems for defining the problem that they're having is that the black box is a relatively new technology, and then there's a question whether they will share the data, which which is actually a, a common issue with, with security in general, is the information sharing, but you need the instrumentation, you need, but in order to design the inf- instrumentation, you have to know what you're doing from the security perspective. So it's really a very simple concept, but, Something that's pretty well neglected, because you don't have a lot of people who have this broad view of of the the business use and what is the appropriate use of the application, and at the same time understand where the vulnerabilities might be.
0: Very good. You've been at the event this week. What yes. are sort of the resonant themes that you hear coming out in your conversations? Well, I.
1: I mentioned to you earlier that it's, it's like drinking from a hot, uh, fire hose. That there's so much coming at at you. Um, there, there was a, a very interesting presentation from uh, uh, somebody from Amazon Web Services talking about cloud security, and this this is a big issue. My feeling about that, and and what really came out of the uh, out of the Presentation by somebody called Steve Riley was that these cloud services providers are willing to talk. You, you have so the customers on one side saying, "Oh, it's terrible. We don't know where the information is, and we don't know what it's running on, and we we don't have good security, and so forth." And it's all hypothetical. If they sit down with the cloud service providers and say you know, these are my issues, can you help me address them? They're waiting for that. He, he really said, you know, come talk to me, let me know what you're looking for. So I, I think for the adoption of cloud services by financial services in particular, that dialogue has to take place because you can secure the cloud, you can meet all the regulatory requirements. I mean, you can carve out part of the uh, the systems and even the real estate, if you talk to them. They, you know, it may cost a little more, but you still save a, a bundle on, on the overall services and, and support. So I, I think that's one of the major issues. And uh, I, I think there's a, a lot of some misrepresentation of the cloud. P- people say saying that it's not, not a lot new. I, I like to call it outsourcing on steroids. Uh, <laughs> Because actually, it may not in structure be all that new, but in practice, it's an entirely different model. And you have to understand the, the economic workings of the model, the risks, and, and so forth. And you have to start addressing those. Certainly in, you know, the, the virtualization aspects and, and so forth. And that's not being done yet. I think a lot of people are running around saying, Oh, either this is the next great thing or it's nothing different or, well, we've got to worry about security and privacy. Yeah, but do something about it. Just don't say that it's an issue. And engage in the dialogue with the providers. Because if you don't do that, they're imagining one thing and you're imagining a different thing and you're not going to have a meeting of
0: the minds. Warren, very well said. I appreciate your time and your insight tonight. My pleasure. Thank you.